like the rehab definitely helped you realize like um just to start enjoying what you still have like yeah i can't play sports or anything but i can still i can still enjoy watching them or being around them at times uh, and just like i still get to live I, i'm still breathing there's people that that don't get that chance still like, right it could be a lot worse just keep telling myself that and it's like you start to start to appreciate the little things a lot more Okay, hi folks, and welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. I am your host, Dr. John Duffy. Hope you found the right place. Um, the goal here is to recognize that we all have um, a story to tell, and if we're willing to share our stories, we tend to lift taboos and kind of unravel and undo some of the undue anxiety that we all um, suffer unnecessarily in our lives. So, um, to that end, uh, I'm excited to have uh, Connor as my guest here today. Welcome, Connor. How are we doing? Good, man. Glad you're here. Thanks for having me. Connor is new to the to the podcasting game, top to bottom. So he's on, on a podcast for the first time, hasn't even listened to him before. Absolute rookie. So thanks for being here, man. No problem. All right. So Connor is going to, he's, he's, he's uh, generous enough to share with us a story of kind of um identity and having to redefine yourself when that identity is breached in a way. Um, so if you're up for it, man, where, where does the story start? You know, like, uh, what was your identity in the before of your story? Um, kind of started right from when I was like three years old, I started playing hockey and just got immersed in sports and basically just loved it. And that's all I did for the next 17 years. For 16 years, and then um, when I turned 18, I was a senior in high school. Uh, I was out snowboarding in Colorado for spring break, and I hit a tree, busted my knee, and then my sports career ended very quickly. Man. Very quickly. You started – take me back to this. You started playing hockey when you were three. Yes. So when I, when I think about, like, the kids I usually work with, the kids I know, kids I've known – that doesn't. That's not usually where they start. They usually start playing like soccer or something that everybody can play. Anybody can do, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and they usually don't start until they're what, maybe five or six or something. Yeah, around there. Um, how does how do the parents of three year old Connor? How do they know like, all right, hockey's the thing for you? Uh, I don't know. It's just kind of like a family thing. Like my uncles played, and it's just like when I was three, I started skating, and like the next year, I was in like playing hockey lessons and then I just loved it so I kept going back yeah never stopped yeah, yeah, yeah. and so um and, and that was your a big part of who you were huh yeah that was just about it I was always like doing my doing my school work and stuff so I could keep playing sports and just keep keep going with that rather than doing anything else in my experience um hockey is the most time-consuming expensive um, it, it is a commitment, right? The sport. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not of, like uh, you just show up in the field a with a bat, no. right? <laughs> there's, there's all types of gear you got to get. You got to keep getting your skate sharpened. And there's a bunch of traveling, going to different rinks all over the state. Like it's it's definitely time consuming. Yeah. It took up a lot of time. Yeah. Um, we happen to be in Chicago. Um, so you are this kind of fledgling, pretty good skater in 2010 or whatever it was that the Blackhawks start winning these uh, these Stanley Cups, right? Yes. What was that like for you? 
Uh, that was awesome. That was just like a dream come true to see the Stanley Cup like come to Chicago. It's like every everyone that plays hockey, you watch it every year, no matter who's in it, just because playoff hockey is like one of the best months of the year because it's just so intense. And then for the Hawks to finally start getting good and then win the Cup once and then two years later and another two years, it was just it was awesome. It was surreal. Uh, I, I talked yesterday with a guy who is maybe a year or two younger than you. Um, and he's frustrated that there's a lot of Johnny come latelys now that the now that the Blackhawks are are big. You know that there's a lot of guys who like took up hockey starting when you know we had this great team. Uh, do do you share that with him? Uh, it's not really frustrating to me. It's better like it's. It, I mean, it's cooler for the city just to have so many people involved in it, and like they sell out every game. It's a little, it's a little more annoying that you can't get cheap tickets. And like when I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, you could pick whatever seat you wanted if you were there because it was empty. But like, it's so much better to have a good team and everyone on the bandwagon and like enjoying it than nobody there. Right. Right. Good point, man. And I, I do think it's an amazing thing for the city. It's amazing, like, you know, when with, you know, suddenly these championships popping up in hockey and of all things, yeah, baseball, no, baseball, for God's sake, crazy. you know, like it's unbelievable. Um, and, and it does, it, it buoys uh, the city. And I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, I, I during the tense election season, I feel like Chicago, unlike any other place on earth, maybe got a break from it because for that month, we were watching baseball. Yeah, baseball was fun. It was exciting. So Chicago and Cleveland got a break, and everybody else had to deal with you know uh, this 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 stressful season. All right, so you have this hockey career that lasts most uh, virtually all your life. Yes, and then it comes to a close. Tell me about the day that you got injured. Uh, I was out in Breckenridge, Colorado, peak eight. Um, snowboarding with a couple with my stepbrother and then I just met up with two of my friends from my high school that were also out there met up with them on the first run down we're going down a blue run and I just went and remind me what a blue run is is that difficult no it's like a easy we had just come off a double black diamond so we're coming down and those run into the blues which are a lot easier to go to the bottom so you're just coasting yeah and so there's this path through the trees and I go in there hit a patch of ice and like had to swerve out of a tree in front of me and right before I got out the front of my board clipped a tree and my knee just snapped like a toothpick your knee snapped like a toothpick. Good God, man. Was, I mean, that sounds like the most painful thing I can imagine. Was it? Yeah, it was brutal. I tried Well, at first, I tried to just tell myself I was fine and that, like, it wasn't bad. So I stood up on my snowboard, but my knee bent in instead of down. And, like, I knew then it was, it was bad. And then it's like you just kind of go into shock and don't really... Don't really realize the pain. You just don't really know what's going on. Yeah, that's where shock is probably a handy thing to slip yeah, into, right? Definitely. Because if you you couldn't withstand that pain, mm-hmm. what was the immediate aftermath of that like? I mean, so you get um, immediately taken Ski to patrol a patrol comes, yeah. takes you down on a on a sled, gets you in an ambulance, get to the hospital. They see my knee, and they, everyone was just like, all right, you are screwed. Um, you know, <laughs> Is that right? Was it yeah, no, that obvious first, just by looking at it, huh? Yeah, no, it was like a 45-degree angle to the left. Like thought I was going down, and from the knee down, it was just to the left instead of straight. Um, so the first doctor comes in, he's like, you dislocated your knee. Um, there's a 100% chance you tore at least one thing, but a very good shot. You tore more than that. Turned ACL out, kind of thing? 
Yeah. Turned well. Yeah, he said for sure you tore your ACL. Like, but there's a good chance you tore more. I ended up tearing my ACL, MCL, PCL, and meniscus. That's so all. That's all there is, right? There's one more. Oh, yeah, okay. I tore that on the second surgery. <laughs> so I've, I've torn them all. Man, you've torn them all. And, and before that, you were an injury-free guy, effectively, huh? Yeah, I never got injured playing yeah. hockey or lacrosse. All right, so, so, um, so recuperation, right? So a surgery immediately? Yeah. So well, I was out in Colorado then for the next like three days still, because we were planning on being out there all weekend. This was on the first day of the trip, like two hours in. Right. Um, so then come home, had surgery like two weeks later, and then I was just sat up. Um. And when does it hit you? Um, I think this is going to affect me. You know, I think this is going to affect this hockey career that I thought was going to carry me for a long time here. I mean, for like for the first while, you're just worried about getting better and trying to stay, like trying to stay on top of things and not have it affect you that much. But then, like when you're sitting on your couch for a month, it just like it wears on you that you can't do anything. Like you. You physically, like, you just have to stay on the couch. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. And, I, I, you know, my projection, my guess is that when you define yourself as a hockey player your whole life, it's got to be depressing maybe to recognize, like, okay, I gotta, I, I've got to shift now my self-definition a little bit here. Yeah, no, it was very depressing. Like, you, Forever, I was always on the run and going and going and, like, never couldn't stop. I was always a very energetic kid. And then it's, like, when you actually have to sit on the couch and can't do anything, it just, like, eats at you more that you want to be going and not just not sitting up. Just to give our listeners an idea, you know, Connor is a mobile guy. I, th- I think by nature, he's sitting in a chair across from me. His hands are moving. He's turning in the chair. Uh, it's hard to picture this guy sitting still. And um, and to, it must have been also, I, I, I guess, a little anxiety provoking to be immobilized. Yes, definitely. It's just like all you think about when you can't move is moving like when you're like when you're going all day, you get tired and like eventually you want to sit down and just lay there for a while. But like when you have to do it for 24 hours a day, it just it eats at you. You just want to get up and run around. And but like when you can't put weight on your leg, you just gotta keep laying there no matter what. How many months ago was this injury, man? Uh, that one was two years ago, um, May. So have you not been up on skates? In two years? Uh, I've skated twice. Wow. That's it. Yeah. Um, And just broadly, what's that like? What's that like not to be out there? I mean, it it stinks. It's just something like, I don't know, it's hard to deal with. you got to figure out ways to kind of get involved in it without playing. But that's just like, I was an adrenaline kid, and like I needed the adrenaline rush, and it's just like you can't really – can't really get that adrenaline working on the other side of it. You, you know, I find that um, different people cope with this kind of thing in different ways. I, I worked with a guy who um, had uh, concussed one too many times or maybe two or three too many times playing soccer um, and was being recruited D1 hard. Like, you know, he was this was going to be his thing. And then a doc at some point said, you know what, you can't do it. It's just too risky. And, um, and clearly, like like you, this had been his life to date. 
And so he, the, the shift he made was he decided like, okay, I'm going to go into sports broadcasting. I'm going to be standing on that soccer field and I'm going to be talking to players and coaches and things like that. Um, and the other thing he was thinking about doing was like uh, refing or something like that. Um, do you feel this inclination to be connected to the, you know, the game of hockey or do you feel like, man, I want nothing. I don't even want to see it, you know, like, cause I've worked with people who've been on that side of things too, where they're like, uh, basketball was my thing. Now I'm not even going to step, I'm not going to go see a high school game, much less go watch the bulls play. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, I, I still want to be involved in it. Like I work at an ice rink and I work for the Blackhawks and it's just like, it's good to be there and see it and like still be involved in it, but it's just not the same. Like you want to be out and play somewhere. Like, so you, there's definitely a little bit of both sides to it. So one side of me is like, I'm happy I can still be around the game, but the other side is just like itching to get out there, but it's just like, I can't do that. Yeah. Um, I, I can only imagine cause I'm, I, you know, I, I, I played sports when I was a kid, but not focused like, like you were. Um, I can only imagine the frustration of kind of feeling like, man, by now, how, how old a guy are you right now? 19. So, you know, I, I was done when I was 17. By 19, I think I'd be killing it right now. Like, you'd be playing in college, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully still. I was planning on playing club at Michigan State. Um, and then when I injured my knee, I decided not to go to Michigan State because I don't want to be around the game there. Right. Like, it just wouldn't wouldn't have been good for me just uh, was that just a smart call like that was going to be too painful to be to be yeah near I, that I rink just, and watching those games yeah i would have hated like seeing it and i just wouldn't like to be around it yeah yeah um so given that you've got juice you have energy and a lot of it um when you're laid up how do you what do you do with all that energy nothing you can't like you <laughs> sit in it sit and sulk in it there's nothing nothing to do really how wretched were those months for you uh they're terrible it's just like you're sitting i was i was in my basement because that was the easiest place for me to be there's a bathroom down there a couple steps away and then like i would just like i hated being like catered to everything i can't do anything for myself everything's gotta like come to me my mom's gotta bring me water my mom's gonna bring me food like i can't i can't do anything and were you real self-sufficient before then yeah yeah i I could i made myself food like i was i was pretty pretty on top of my things yep unless my mom was making like a good dinner i'd love for her to do that but (laughs) (laughs) um and and you know in my experience with people who've been injured um sports wise sometimes Every element of life is affected, like grades come down, um, you know, everything goes bust, you know what I mean? It's not just like, okay, I lost this piece of it. It's like a lot of things start to fall apart. It's like a house of cards a little bit. Was this true for you or was it like isolated to hockey? Um, my Well, I, second semester of senior year, my grades were already kind of dropping a little bit, but they weren't like, they weren't going super downhill and like I was still really focused on physical therapy and, like, getting better. And then first semester of college, like, I was real focused and I did well. And then second semester, I injured my leg again, and then the grades just dropped. Is that right? Severely, yes. So before that second injury, did you did you feel like, um, I can get back on the ice? Like, you know, w- w- was there any idea 
um, delusional or otherwise that like, you know, regardless of what any doctor's saying or anything like that, I bet I can figure out a way to, you know, Kyle Schwarber and recuperate and, <laughs> and get I, back out there somehow. I definitely had hope. I was, I was hoping to do that and like keep just, but it's just like every day you got to work on getting your legs stronger so that I can like withstand all the rigorous activities I used to do. And then it's like, the more you do that, the more it hurts. So like, it's kind of back and forth on whether I wanted to or not, but I, or not whether I wanted to, I always wanted to get back yeah. out there, but like whether it'd be a good idea. And then eventually I just tore everything again playing basketball. So it wasn't like. Yeah, tell me about the second injury. That was basketball? Yes, I was just playing basketball with a bunch of my buddies, like just messing around really, like just to go out and play a pickup game. Went up to get a rebound and just came down weird on that same leg and everything tore again. Wow. How yeah. disheartening, man. And curious that, like, neither of these were hockey injuries, right? Yeah, I mean, man. that's one thing I never really picked up on fully before is, like, mm -hmm. this was this was just you playing. The worst thing I ever did in hockey was, like, I broke a finger, and that was it. Like, and that, for hockey players, that's nothing, right? Yeah, I mean, and that yeah. you can tape up and put in a glove and still play. It's like it's... That day. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, <laughs> that's not a big deal, but, right. like... Tearing everything in your knee is a completely different story. Yep, yep. So you said, like, um, after the first injury, you were able to kind of keep things together. After the, And I get that the second semester of senior year of high school, that tends to be a yeah, senioritis. People little, phone that in a little bit, uh, right? Uh, so I get that that was probably more an artifact of where you were mm -hmm. in your in your academic life than, you know, that things to, were falling ready apart. Ready to get out of there, yeah. ready to be done. <laughs> But the second injury, things start falling apart after that, huh? Yeah. Why do you, Why do you think that was? Why do you, Why do you think the second injury was significant in that way? Um, it just like brings back all the depression of not being able to do anything. You're just sitting there, again. Yeah. Like, and then it, you just kind of lose hope. It's like the first time they're saying you're gonna be fine. Like you just do your therapy, you'll get to 100 percent. You'll be able to do whatever. Then you work on that for a year, and it happens again a year later, and it's just like, who knows what's going to happen now. So that that messed with my head, and then I just kind of like stopped working on it for a while and was just... You know, oh, you stopped doing like um, physical therapy and stuff? Well, I was you... always going to the actual physical therapy, but outside of that, I wasn't doing much for a long time. And it's just like you don't, you just lose hope. And what, yeah, you, so, so tell me about that. Tell me, what, what, what happens to a Connor when he loses hope? Uh, depression, anxiety, drug use, like nothing, just anything to get away from like the feeling of not being able to do anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, this might be an uncomfortable part to, to dwell on. That's right. That's Connor's okay. phone. It, it happens. It happens to mine sometimes too. <laughs> we'll, we'll call you. Call you back later. Um, so, so if you're comfortable, tell me a little bit about the drug use and what that did for you. Uh, it just like gave me something to do. Like I can't, I can't go out and like play basketball with my friends. We used to do that all the summer. Like I can't go play hockey. I can't go play pickup games. Can't like. Can't really work out because I got this full leg brace, but I can sit there and smoke weed and do nothing. Like, right. That's the only way I could like get myself out and like with people because that's the only thing I could do. It's the only thing I thought I could do. And it's, it seems like a particularly uh, dangerous 
um, use of drugs, right? Because, you know, I, I feel like, boy, a guy could really get lost in just smoking weed or drinking or whatever, whatever your vice is. And, um, and then never really emotionally deal with what's going on. Just kind of like create this haze where you just pass time, and, yeah. but you're never really living. Yeah. Were definitely. you in that phase? I was in that, I never really like, I never talked to people about how shitty it was to sit around because it's like it's not a conversation I enjoy having. It's not something anyone else would want to hear. Like you don't want to have a depressing conversation like that. It's right. like I'm usually a happy person. That's not something like I want to talk about. It'll make me depressed. It'll like make the other person like sad. And it's just not something I ever wanted to to talk about. So from there, it was like when I was going out with my friends, it wasn't like. I'm just going to sit around and have a couple beers or, like, smoke J. It's like, I'm going to do this till I till I can't, like, feel anything else and so, till I don't have to deal with me not being able to do anything. So how does that cycle ever end? Because I can see where a guy could get stuck there for a very long time. And and what you're saying, I, I, I get it. Like, you know, I get the, this idea, like, well, I can't just sit there and tell people, well, I've been on the couch in my basement now for another week, you know, and um, not much has happened. I'm watching Netflix or something, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and smoking weed. You know, like it, that's I get that that's not um, an inspiring story for a guy who is probably used to telling pretty good inspiring stories. Right. Um, so I can imagine that that must have been um, not just a difficult time for you, but like you said, hopeless. You know, yeah. like the, the, maybe this is what life looks like now. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you ever bust out of that? Um, it was it's hard. You, it's hard to do it alone. You gotta you gotta actually get help from people and stop thinking that it, you can't talk about it with anyone. Like you gotta you you just have to tell people what's actually going on, and then they'll they'll start to understand what's going on in your head, and it won't be you battling yourself as much to get away from it it'll, you'll have help from other people so you're suffering i'm going to i'm going to cite the podcast a little bit you're suffering this undue anxiety you know um th that is unnecessary and you know just in the name of kind of lifting taboos the help you seek um mental health professionals um rehabilitation professionals all of that yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah and like the rehab definitely helped you realize like um, just to start enjoying what you still have. Like, yeah, I can't play sports or anything, but I can still, I can still enjoy watching them or being around them at times. Uh, and just like, I still get to live. I, I'm still breathing. There's people that, that don't get that chance still. Like, right. it could be a lot worse and just keep telling myself that. And it's like, you start to, start to appreciate the little things a lot more. Um, does that gratitude come easily or did that, did that take work to find that, that, that grain, you know, where it's like, Hey, I can still live. I can enjoy the sport. I, I, there's an awful lot I can do, even if I can't get back on that ice. There, I mean, it, it takes a lot every day to keep like, to keep that mindset. Cause it's like, yes, I can still go through my everyday routine. I can still do a lot of things, but I still can't do that or I can't do this. So it's like it weighs on you, but you just got to find ways to appreciate what you still have. Do you think there's something unique about you that allows that to happen? Because sometimes people listen to this podcast or talk to me and say, you know, like, 
well, I've been depressed and anxious for years, or, you know, it's a chemical imbalance in my brain. Easy for this guy to say, you know, to be grateful because he, he's not naturally depressed. He's circumstantially depressed and anxious, you know? Um, and I just have this thing in my brain that is, uh, that forbids me from enjoying life. Do, do you, do you believe that true? Or do you feel like, no, I think anybody can find a way to appreciate something and lift themselves out of like dark times. I feel like anyone can, if they give themselves the chance to, like, I've heard a lot of people like, I just hate, I hate this. I hate that. Or like, I can't, I can't like do what you did because I'm not like a happy person like that and it's like for me I never like you just gotta kind of go out of your comfort zone to see what it's gonna be like if you try to do it and for some people it'll be a good experience and some it won't some will still not enjoy anything but I think that a lot of people could could benefit from getting out of their comfort zone and trying to like trying to get out there and enjoy more things yeah um Rather than just sulking, like, in in solidarity, that's no good. Right. And, and you think it's unnecessary. Do you feel like, you know, um, anybody can feel, can, can lift their own depression or their own anxiety? I do because, well, maybe not completely lift it, but definitely ease it. Because when, at least for me, like, you start to think about how depressed or how anxious you are, and then it just builds on itself. It's not going to get, it's not going to get any better with that being the only thing you think about. Like, you got to, you got to kind of get away from it and see some other aspects of life and see, just enjoy what you have. Like, there's going to be people in worse situations most times. Was it, um, I'm, I'm shifting gears a little bit here. Was it hard to give up like the the drugs and whatever the, the the unhealthy coping mechanisms you were using? Was that difficult or was that like I went to rehab and I was done? Um, I mean it's kind of difficult, but for me it was like instead of using those, I started talking to people more rather than just not doing anything about it. Like since I was a kid, I never really talked about any like deep feelings or anything like that. I was. I just never wanted to, and nothing was ever, like, that bad until this happened, but when this happened, like, that's the mindset I had, is, like, I don't like to talk to people about that, and, like, once you start doing it, it kind of eases your mind and gives you, like, a certain sense of calmness that you don't need to, like, do anything else or do any substances to get away from that feeling. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's... That's pretty inspiring. Do you feel like anybody could do that? I, I'm putting you in a tricky position here, but do you know, like, do you feel like anybody anybody should be able to give up smoking weed if they really wanted to, or drinking if it was unhealthy for them? Yeah, I like. I used to think I needed to smoke weed, but it, did you? It's one of the easiest things to stop. Like you stop, and everything gets a little clearer, and like. It, you just get more motivation to work on yourself and figure it out. But for some people, it, like people that don't abuse it, like I, it's I don't think it's that bad. But like people that think that they need drugs and stuff, you just gotta find a way to not do them for a while and realize what what you're missing out in life on. And then it. Like, for me, I gained a lot of perspective on, like, what I want to be doing with my life and what 
I want to make of my life rather than just sitting around and sulking in depression. And, and do you feel like if you were still using anything um, that you would not gain that perspective, that you would just be in a haze and kind of like not, not able to kind of focus on the future and, you know, how do I redefine myself and, and recapture some of that energy you had a couple years ago? Uh, I mean, if I was using to the extent, like, after my surgeries that I was, probably not because I just wouldn't want to because yeah. that's, that's the way you want to deal with it once you start dealing with it like that. It's like, this is this works for me, so I'm just going to keep doing it. Right. So it's like, you don't want to, but once you finally do it, it's like, I don't need to be abusing anything for me to, like, feel calm and, like, okay with it. I mean, not really okay. You're never really okay with it, but just a little more calm about it. And that's no small point. You never really are okay with it. It's not like you're, like, you know, that you just become at peace with the fact that, okay, I'm not going to be a hockey player now, right? Um, that's that's probably an important point to note that, you know, like, grief of that lasts a long time. You know, it might last a lifetime that you're like, mm, what could have been? Mm -hmm. Yeah, does that sit with you? Kind, I mean, kind of, like, I wasn't going, I wasn't going pro by any mean. I just wanted to, I wanted to play college hockey no matter what level it was at. Right. Like, just to keep, just to keep playing and keep, like, keep going. Hockey just kept me sane and, like, grounded, and it was just, like, it was good for my mental state all the time. It was, like, if you ever frustrated, angry, like, even, like, calm is just something to do, something to get your mind off everything else going on. All you have to worry about is what you're doing on the ice. Like, right. there's nothing else going on for those two hours you're out there. So you, you shared with me some of your realigned goals for the future. Um, what what is what is the redefinition of, of Connor look like? Like how do you how do you um, find that feeling of you know like I'm I'm on the ice and I'm free and uh, I'm not bothered by anything else? Is there is there something else in your life now that provides you that feeling? Uh, I started getting back into working out like I used to when I was like playing sports. I used to do it so that I could get better at whatever I was doing, like whatever sport I was playing. And now it's just more I do it to clear my mind again and just like refresh myself. And yeah. it's just something you can do for a few hours and get away from everything else going on. And that's been really good for me just to get on a schedule with that and work and like keep that up. And it's like it just gives you gives you more motivation to keep going. And and you've got this academic drive you were sharing with me recently um, that maybe you didn't have in the past. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's this first time ever I've wanted to succeed in school. Like before, it was like, all right, I got to get my schoolwork done just so that I can go to practice tonight, just so I can play, so I don't get kicked off the team for any academic. Uh, disturbances. Is that right? So your and your your academic goals in the past were, I got to stay on the team. Yeah, it was get, it, <laughs> get it done, get it done semi well, so that it's a decent grade, but it doesn't have to be the best. Just, it was half assed. Yeah, just yeah. Get, it, get it done. Get get your work done, and you'll be fine. Like you'll get the material. You'll do all right. You'll get through. And, right. And now it's just like I want to. I want to do very well in school. I want to get straight A's. Like I'm, and it's just the first time I've ever actually wanted to do it. Like you know, you always you always talk with your mom. Like 
get straight A's. It's like, yeah, all right, mom, I'll, I'll work on it. But like, <laughs> first time ever, it's like me wanting to do it. All right. So, um, if if a a parent listening right now wants to bottle what you just said and 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 give it to their kid, like I, I worked with somebody last night, a young guy. He's a freshman in high school right now, and he is wholly academically unmotivated. And you know, and, and if his parents are listening to this podcast, they're thinking, okay, what happened to the Connor guy? You know, do we have to do we have to break our son's knee in order to in order to get him motivated academically? Or what what got you to the point where you decided, you know what? I've I've phoned it in my entire life. I'm now a college student and I've decided I'm I'm going for that 4.0. I want A's for real for me. Honestly, I don't think there's anything a parent can do to actually get their kid to realize that it's just something they have to do on their own and like for me it was just like I wanna I wanna get out of college and get a very good job, not like one of the jobs I'm working now for like minimum wage or a little more. Like right. I wanna get a salary and like I just wanna succeed in life. Like I used to like I used to put that attitude towards me getting better like at sports or like progressing in other things I did, but like I can't do that now, so I gotta channel it into something better. And it's like, if I could do, if I could do, get straight A's in school, like that'd be that'd be awesome. That would put me in a good position to get a better job and like right out of college and work on that. When was the last time you got straight A's? Never. How do you know you can do it? Because I never put in the full, complete effort that I put in towards athletics or other things like. You, you don't seem like you have any doubt. No, I'm going to do it. It's You're going to do like, it. And that's like that's the other thing is like you just have to be self-motivated. Like your parents can tell you forever. My mom has told me since I was like sixth or seventh grade, like you got to do well in school to get a good job. You got to do well in school for this, for that. And I was like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to get through school and I'll be fine. And now it's like. <laughs> I want to do very well in school. Yeah. Do you, do you think, um, I, I've noticed with uh, kids, young adults that I work with, that um, there's this point, and it almost feels like a moment where that clicks with them, where it's like, you know, um, oh, I get it. I, I, I'm going to take ownership of my academic life. I'm going to go ahead and do that. You know, like, and, and then, and now I'm going to, I, I got it. You, you adults don't have to, like, weigh in, ask me if I did my homework or anything because I'm taking ownership of this thing. And, mm-hmm. and to your point about like, I don't think there's anything parents can do. Sometimes I think when parents are on a kid, you know, like, okay, I want you to come down to the kitchen table and do your homework. I want to watch you. I'm going to I'm going to write some math pro- problems for you to do. Sometimes I think that's counterproductive, you know, um, that in terms of motivation, somehow that's a show of no confidence in a kid or something because kids tend to rear back from that. They don't, that, that doesn't seem like it's gets them going. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Like, it's, nobody wants to be made to do, like, when they're young, like, yes, you got to make them do their homework or else it's not going to get done. But, like, it just comes to a point where the more you do that, the more kids are going to be like, ah, oh, whatever, I'll do it now, and then I'm not touching that again because yeah. I'm pissed off about it. Like, and that's the hard thing is, like, everyone kind of comes to their – to their place where they realize it at a different point. Like I know kids that did in eighth grade and had straight A's forever. Like 
other kids I know that didn't didn't get that until like senior year and then they're like oh I want to go to a good college and now it's a little too late like and it just like everyone's got to do it at a different time but I think that's the biggest part is like you figuring it out yeah and 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 you gotta almost as a parent like allow trust that that's gonna happen and allow yes. your kid to get to that point huh uh-huh, yeah I think so yeah but so it's hard not to be. It's hard for parents not to be overbearing. Like I, I know my mom has the best intentions for me, and it's like sometimes you just gotta back off. But it's it's hard to tell them that because they're like, I'm your mom. Like this is this oh, is it's hard, doing. right. And 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 so many kids are there, there's so much pressure to succeed and um, to have your kids do well, and it's hard to get into colleges. And you know, and I think parents were given these messages early, you know, and mm-hmm. so we freak out a little bit and we like decide oh my god you know my eighth graders getting c's i gotta start putting the pressure on otherwise they're not going to get where they want to go i don't even think it's a selfish thing for most parents i think it's mostly like my kid's going to be in the basement and disappointed you know at 25 yeah Yeah. i don't want that to happen you know they definitely want the best it's just every kid kind of gets to their their spot at their own time yeah and you have to trust the process huh yeah hopefully hopefully they get there sooner than later right so, for a guy who defined himself one way, I'm an athlete, I'm a hockey player, realizes, okay, that's, that's not who I'm going to be now, um, redefines himself, decides uh, I'm a hardworking guy, and I am now going to be a scholar. I'm going to be a 4.0 guy. Um, take me into the future, five, ten years. What do, what do you picture? Where, where's Connor heading, man? Honestly, I have no idea. I just really don't. Either majoring in advertising, minoring in sports marketing, so it's all kind of marketing strategies and like with advertising. So it just gives me a broad range of things to work with. But like the better my grades are, the easier it'll be to get into different spots all around the industry. Are you excited about your future? I am now. Yeah. Yeah. What did it take? What did it take for you to get excited? Um, honestly, for me, it was kind of having the, the humbling experience of going to rehab. Like, it's not something any 19-year-old wants to do. It's not something most would get themselves to do. But I had a long conversation with my mom and decided that's what I was going to do instead of going to school this semester. And it's not something I recommend for, like, most 19 year olds if they're like slacking off or like do a couple dumb things like but for me it it was great just to give me the the new perspectives on life and just see like what it can get to if I let myself get there and I keep having the same mentality of like I can't do anything I'm not good for anything because I can't like run around or I can't do this or that like you got to see what you can do and run with that well Connor I mean I got to tell you I give you so much credit for um using the tools at your disposal um you know whether it be physical therapy emotional therapy rehab um to get where you need to go and I feel like you've done it gracefully and I hope you've done it without any shame because, you know, in, in a way, I, I, 
the there's an elegance to your story despite the fact that it sucks, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah that the, the, there's part of it that you really wish never happened, Definitely. and yet I, I feel like the way you've handled it, um, kind of all the way across the board, has been with um, with a lot of grace, man. I don't know, I don't know a different way to put it, and I suspect that you will continue to do so, and and I hope that's part of the takeaway that people have from you is, hey, man, you know, if you're struggling with something. Uh, Get, get the help you need, whether you, if you're using something and you shouldn't be using it. There's no shame in rehab. It's just not, it's not every 19-year-old needs it, but some do. And, yeah. that, and, you, and you can walk away with tools. It doesn't have to be this like, oh, I screwed up and now this is my life and I'm this addict guy or yeah, something, right? That's I, the only thing I don't like about that is like the way, once you're in there, like the way they like perceive you and treat you, like it's just like, you're an addict. You're never going to be anything else. Like, you got to follow these exact rules. And for me, it was like, take all the stuff in that applies to your life and work with that and agree to disagree with as much stuff as you want in there, but try and take as much from every day as you can rather than label. Like, I don't like to label myself as, like, always going to be an addict and never, like, anything else. It's like, I got so much other stuff I can do rather than being held back in, like, only thinking about me being an addict. Like, I love that. I, I, I like the idea of, like, you know, um, I, I think one can spend their lives saying, I'm depressed, um, I'm sad, I, I was abused when I was a kid, which I, I, I don't take that lightly. I'm an addict, you know, and make that their label, make that their um, story. And then that becomes, you know, over decades, that becomes your epitaph. That's that's on your tombstone. You know what I mean? That's what you. That's that's your legacy. And um, to your point, man, like you know, I could I could use ten different things, maybe twenty, to describe you before we ever came down to using any kind of substance or anything. Yeah. That's really not who you are, and it's probably not who anybody is. You know, um, to your point, right? It's mm-hmm. like don't define yourself by that. Get past it. You know, manage it uh, for a lifetime if you have to. Or for a short period, if you have to, but but make sure your de- definition of yourself is is positive. You know, right? You think about your strengths and what your what's great about you, and make that your emphasis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, it's like it's kind of getting out of your comfort zone again. Once you get into that comfort zone of being an addict and that taking away everything that like you're feeling, once you get out of that, it's like I don't. I don't need to be feeling that, or this is for me at least, like some people may not feel the same way, but for me it's like get away from feeling like that, start to feel like like a kid again, talk about your feelings, talk about what's going on in your life, and don't don't be afraid, I was always afraid to like talk to my parents about it, and it's like they're, they're your parents, they're not going to be the ones to like get you in trouble or be mad at you for coming to them to talk about something and I always was worried about dumb stuff that I was like thinking about and it's just like I think about it now and it's like I should have I should have talked to you about a bunch of stuff but like hey I I came around to it when I was 19 so yep. that's where I'm at and you're young and 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 I think your point is um you don't, don't suffer in silence, right? Don't don't just uh, don't just cloister up and you know 
hunker down in the basement and, and um, you know, deal with your problems through using or something like that or just being anxious or upset or sad, talk about it. Mm. And then, you know, and, and there's healing in that. And then you can move, then you have your life back. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's, yeah. Yeah. It definitely helps to just be out there. Like, the, like, I used to think I hated talking to people about stuff. I still don't like to have, like, sad conversations. It just makes everyone sad. It makes the <laughs> mood bad. I don't like that. But, like, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you need to do it. And sometimes you just got to talk about it. And it'll make make you feel a little better. And it'll help your parents know where you're at. But on the other hand, like, parents got to give their kids a little freedom to, to get there on their own. Yep. All right. So last question for you, man. Um, to the kid out there who um, is, is an athlete and, and tears that ACL, gets that concussion, you know, um, breaks that wrist and can no longer do what they thought they were going to be able to do for a long time. Um, what do you say to that kid who's just, like, just suffered the injury, just realizing that now? Uh, you're going to get through it. It's, it's definitely terrible, and it seems like everything's crumbling for that. Those few months or a couple of years, but if you think about it in the long run, nobody plays a sport forever. You don't you don't play sports till you're seventy five. Like you're gonna be doing other things with your life if you let yourself rather than sulking on giving up one part of your life. Um, the wisdom of Connor, man. Uh, having having an identity, having to shift that identity, redefine himself. Um, Go through hardships and maintain this this big positive attitude. I, I hope uh, I hope a lot of people listen to you and um, and heed your words here. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. All right, the great Connor man. Um, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, LiveLeadPlay.com, and WGN Plus. Um, if you have any thoughts about this podcast, what you'd like to hear on here, um, that we can address or if you or somebody you know would like to be a guest on the podcast feel free to reach out to me at john g duffy at dr john that's a mouthful john g duffy at dr john um, if you are a parent i have a free parenting program available to you on my website dr john uh, it's simple it's easy and you'll feel like a, a better more informed parent at the back end of it um, again i so appreciate you taking some time to listen today on behalf of Connor and myself. Thanks for listening to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. I will talk to you next time. Have a great day.